0: Well, hello, my name is Alistair. I'm the lead pastor of St. Peter's Fireside. And wherever you are, uh, thank you for joining us today. Before we dig into the word, let's pray. Father, we give you thanks that we can be gathered and united under the gospel through the power of your spirit. And as we come under your word, we ask that you'd apply it to our minds that we not grow shallow, apply it to our hearts that we not grow cold, and apply it to our feet, that we not just be hearers of your word, but doers also. We pray all of these things in the powerful and precious name of Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. When I was in the seventh grade, I had a friend come over for a sleepover. And we stayed up late listening to our local radio station and they were taking requests. So we tried to dial in and after the 30 second attempt, they actually answered and they asked us, well, what song do you want to hear? And my friend thought it would be funny to request an elderly lady sitting behind a counter in a small town by Pearl Jam because of the length of the title. And so the DJ wrote down our request and a half hour later repeated that title and we laughed and thought it was funny and then the song began to play and we sat back and listened. Now for me I had never actually heard the song before and as it started to play I got pulled into the story. As the title says the song is about an elderly woman who's lived in the same small town and she's worked at the same small place, the same small store, and one day someone from her memory, from her past, walks in and it's actually someone she wanted to love. But she can't bring herself to take the risk to say hello because the only thing that has changed since the last time she saw this person is that she is now older in the same place. But seeing this person takes her down this trail of what ifs. What if all those years ago she had taken the risk and reached out to this person? What would have her life looked like with him? How would she be different now? But the reality is she hasn't changed much at all. She still can't take the risk to say hello. And this person comes into the store and leaves the store. This isn't the story of someone who chose to stay in a place and choose to live and love and risk in a place. That's not what this story is about. This is the story of someone who can't take the risk, someone who plays it safe, and so their life passes them by. This is the story about someone who avoided taking the risk because what if things don't turn out the way you want? Life is full of uncertainty. If we take a risk, even the risk of saying hello, we open ourselves up to a world of possibilities, and some of those possibilities might not be the outcome we want. And so instead, we play it safe. Often we do nothing, and the result is that life passes us by. Now this is one way to respond to the uncertainty of life, and in fact, if you do a web search of the phrase life passing you by, all of the top results are about how to avoid having that happen to you. And that's pretty telling, don't you think? So if one extreme is playing it safe, we can see the other response is more like Robin Williams uh, playing Mr. Keating in Dead Poets Society. Seize the day, carpe diem, boys. You know, make your life extraordinary. Put little trust into tomorrow because life is short and uncertain. Your life might be long, it might be quick, but either way, time is moving. And before you know it, it'll be over. So make the most of every moment. Consume life as much as you can. Make your life count. All the same, life is uncertain. And how are we to respond to this uncertainty? Do we play it safe? Or do we seize the day? Do we let life pass us by? Or do we try to consume as much of life as possible? Ecclesiastes opts for neither option. Yes, life is uncertain. There's much we don't know, but in light of what we know about God, we can choose to live in a way that neither commits to playing it safe nor simply seizing the day. So today I wanna look at two things what we don't know and how to live with what we don't know so let's begin with our first point what we don't know the author David Gibson says Ecclesiastes chapter 11 verses 1 through 6 says three things we don't know we don't know the future we don't know the ways and works of God And we don't know how to guarantee success or avoid failure. And I think Gibson uh, highlights something important about our passage. So let's look at each of those. First, we don't know the future. The preacher says in verses 1 and 2, Cast your bread upon the waters, for you will find it after many days. Give a portion to seven or even to eight, for you know not what disaster may happen on the earth. So before we mine the wisdom buried in this passage, let's just look at one thing it says to us. We don't know what's going to happen around the bend. We don't know what disaster might happen on the earth. And 2020 as a whole so far proves this point, don't you think? None of us would claim to know the future, but All of us live as if the future is more certain than uncertain. We have plans for the week. We have plans for the month. We might even have plans for the year. We book appointments. We plan vacations. We buy tickets to concerts. And we assume these things will happen. But we never know what disaster might happen and what pandemic might bring our lives to a screeching halt. That's the point the preacher is trying to make. We don't know the future, this is true, and we live as if we do, as if it's more certain than uncertain. And we do this because we can make some general observations and predictabilities about life. Look at verses 3 and 4. The preacher says, if the clouds are full of rain, they empty themselves on the earth. And if a tree falls to the south or to the north, in the place where the tree falls, there it will lie. And so we can rely on some predictable patterns. Those are rain clouds. When a tree's fallen, it stays fallen. And yet, when it comes to the future, we are all a lot more like meteorologists. Sometimes their observations of the weather are accurate. They say it's going to be sunny on the weekend, and it's sunny on the weekend. Other times, you wake up on a Saturday morning and you open your app expecting a day full of sun and you see suddenly we're about to have two weeks of rain. You see, we can make some observations. They can help us navigate our lives toward the future, but they're unpredictable at best because we don't know what the future holds. The second thing we don't know is we don't know how to do what only God can do. This is what the preacher says in verse 5. As you do not know the way of the Spirit comes to the bones in the womb of a woman with child, so you do not know the work of God who makes everything. If you've ever driven through rural Alberta, you've probably seen these massive wind farms with these huge towers and they're trying to catch the wind in these open spaces and they're a sight to see and yet none of us really understands the wind its origins when it will come when it will go there's a mystery there we can get these detailed ultrasounds of a baby within the womb But do we really know how and why cells divide at the right time so that these cells become toes and these other cells become fingers? Do we really understand how life actually begins? The preacher says that there's certain things that only God understands. And there's certain things that only God knows how to do. And we actually see this in the book of Job. When Job and God finally have a conversation This is what God asks Job. Have you commanded the morning since your days began, and caused the dawn to know its place? Where is the way to the dwelling of light, and where is the place of darkness, that you may take it to its territory, and that you may discern the path to its home? Can you send forth lightnings, that they may go and say to you, Here we are? And to each question, all Job can honestly say is, I don't know but God can answer I know and so there's mysteries to this world that God has created that we can't grasp that we don't know how God works but he works all the same and even when it comes to salvation even when it comes to everything that God has done through Jesus Christ the apostle Paul says says this in the book of Romans Oh, the depths of the riches and wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments. How inscrutable his ways. So the works of God defy our understanding. And the preacher wants us to step into those limits. To acknowledge that God has knowledge that we don't know. That we cannot comprehend. But the third thing we don't know is that we don't know how to guarantee success or avoid failure. The preacher writes in verse 6, In the morning, sow your seed, and at the evening, withhold not your hand. For you do not know which will prosper, this or that, or whether both alike will be good. When I was preparing to church plant, I was having a conversation with a pastor who said something that I've never forgotten. He said to me, if failure will crush you, success will kill you twice. If failure will crush you, success will kill you twice. And I think there's some wisdom there. What he's saying is if your identity is so bound up in succeeding, that if you fail, you fall apart, success actually has more risks for you. And I agree with him and yet I still try to avoid failure and guarantee success even though I know success has greater risks inherent in it than failure. Don't you? But when it comes to life as it really is, whether it's in the realm of investments or relationships, we don't know how things are going to pan out. We can't guarantee that things will go up and to the right or down to the corner. We don't know what's going to work and what's going to fail. One investment might prosper, another might crash, or both might succeed. You might invest your time and energy into a relationship and see it flourish or see it fall apart. You might seek to address a conflict and it might resolve or it might actually stoke the fires of the disagreement. We don't know if one thing will work out or if another thing will fail. We don't know how to guarantee success and how to avoid failure. And so the preacher invites us to his vantage point, to see the world through his lens for a moment, to embrace what we don't know. We don't know the future. We don't know how God works at times. And we don't know how to guarantee success and avoid failure. But this brings us to our second point. In light of all these things we don't know, how do we live? How do we live with what we don't know? Yes, life is uncertain and we can respond to that in a few ways. We can become like the elderly lady in the Pearl Jam song and play it safe. Or we can become like the, the young man of uh, Dead Poet Society and Carpe Diem, seize the day, make the most out of every moment. But once again, Ecclesiastes opts for neither option. Instead, he, the author of Ecclesiastes wants us to recognize that although there's many things we do not know, when we remember the whole book of Ecclesiastes, there are some things we do know. We do know that life is a gift to be received from God. That life is a gift and not gain. That our purpose in living isn't to try to make the most out of living and get the most out of life, but to receive all of life in its complexity and uncertainty as a gift. And so the question then is, how do we receive this gift well? And how do we live with what we don't know even as we receive this gift of life. So let's look at verses one through four one more time. Cast your bread upon the waters, for you will find it after many days. Give a portion to seven or even to eight, for you know not what disaster may happen on earth. If the clouds are full of rain, they empty themselves on the earth. And if a tree falls to the south or to the north in the place where the tree falls there it will lie. He who observes the wind will not sow, and he who regards the clouds will not reap. If we want to put the wisdom of the preacher into the form of modern day Proverbs, here's what he's saying to us. When it comes to risk, nothing ventured, nothing gained. There are times you need to take risks and you need to step out boldly and try something even though you don't know if it will succeed. It may not pan out, but risk requires you to step out into that unknown. And this is what he means by casting your bread upon the waters. Now, to be honest, this sounds like a pretty soggy metaphor, but most scholars think that it's actually an allusion uh, to the ancient practice of investing in international relationships. And what the preacher is saying is these risky investments might actually yield fruit. They could be very good, but they require risk. But the preacher is acknowledging that sometimes risky ventures have rewards. Yet, the preacher says that risk needs to be weighed. In other words, don't put all your eggs in one basket. Try multiple things. Invest widely. This is what the preacher says in verse 2. Give a portion to seven or even to eight. You know, don't give up just because some things don't work. Because other things may work. So rather than putting everything you own, everything you have into a single outlet, invest widely. Diversify your investments is what the investor would tell you to do. You know, take calculated risks. Don't avoid risk, take risk, but know that you're taking the risk and be wise about how you take that risk. And yet the preacher will go on to say, if you're going to take a risk, yes, weigh the options, but don't get stuck weighing the options. Don't just throw caution to the wind. Discern, but don't get stuck staring at the clouds. Don't get stuck trying to discern the trends At some point, you're going to have to take a step out and try. And so there's this risk of risk, isn't there? That we can get paralyzed waiting for the opportune moment. We can be like the person described in verse 4, where we're just gazing and waiting for the opportune time, and it's just around the bend. It's just around the bend, but then we just end up playing it safe. See, the preacher is telling us that life is meant to be lived. In an uncertain world, we're still called to put in the effort. This is what he says in verse 6. In the morning, sow your seed, and at the evening, withhold not your hand. Now, on the surface, it seems like we could paraphrase this passage as, you never know, so try. You never know, so try. But that misses what the preacher is actually saying. What the preacher is saying to us is, if you never sow, you will never reap. If you never sow, you will never reap. Jesus tells a parable that we now call the parable of the talents. And it's a story about stewardship. In the story, there's a master with wealth and he entrusts some of his wealth to three of his servants and asks them to steward it well in his absence. Now, two of these servants do very well with what they were entrusted they invest it and they multiply it. So the one who received five talents multiplied it and gained five more talents for a total of 10 talents. The one who received two talents multiplied it and received two more talents to offer his master four talents. But then the third servant did nothing. He, he took the investment and buried it in the ground and did nothing with it. And Jesus describes the interaction between the master and this servant. Here's what Jesus says. He who had received the one talent came forward saying, Master, I knew you to be a hard man, reaping where you did not sow and gathering where you scattered no seed. So I was afraid and I went and hid your talent in the ground. Here, have what is yours. But his master answered him, You wicked and slothful servant. You knew that I reap where I have not sown and gathered where I scattered no seed? Then you ought to have invested my money with the bankers. And at my coming, I should have received what was my own with interest. So the servant sees his master in this negative light. He's hard and unjust and corrupt and fearful. And what's strange about this is the master in the parable represents God the Father. And so all we can conclude then is that this one servant had a skewed perspective of his master. So how you see God influences your stewardship. How you see God will impact your ability to take risks, to live wisely, to navigate your way through an uncertain world. If we're more like the servant in Christ's parable, if we see God as aloof or uninvolved or disinterested in our lives, I think you can see right away that's really going to change how you live. You're going to live with a bit more uncertainty because the world's uncertain and you're not sure if God is really for you. You're not sure if God's really active and so a lot more of it's on your shoulders. Or if you see God as angry and vindictive, and and harsh. You're going to live with a lot of fear, never knowing if what you're doing with your life is actually acceptable or pleasing to him. You're going to live with all this pressure to make sure you don't squander what you have, because who knows how God will treat you in the day, or you're going to go the other way and just play it safe like the servant or the elderly lady, so you can at least just give back to God what is God. How we see God influences our stewardship. And if we see God in the face of Jesus Christ, if we come to see that Jesus really was God among us, God in the flesh, God as one of us, we discover that the essential characteristic of God is that God is love. That God loved you even at your lowest, even at your worst that at that place in your life, that is who Christ died for. That is who Christ loves. That God loves you so much that he went to great lengths to forgive you and be reconciled to you, to adopt you into his family, to cherish you, to pour his love into your life. You see, when you see God this way, When you see that God is love, that God has moved toward the world with love, he's moved toward you with love, it changes how you steward your life. So I want to acknowledge it is possible for us to get paralyzed. It is possible for us to put our heads down and try to be unnoticed, to take what we have and bury it in the sand. And if this is where you are in life right now, I don't want to keep guilt on you or shame. I want to invite you to see God afresh. I want to invite you to ask God to expand your vision of him. To see that even in this uncertain world, he's still in control. He remains faithful. He is a God of love, a God who loves you. And to allow this new vision of God to develop in you or strengthen in you, so that you can step out of playing it safe and begin to take risks, wise risks, but risks all the same for his kingdom. Because all of us, every single one of us, are invited to steward our lives, to sow what we have so we can reap. To sow means to scatter seed, to plant it, to to invest it, to take who we are, all of our lives, our mind, our hearts, our souls, our strength, our gifts, our abilities, to use all of those things within the world to seek God's kingdom, to sow and to hopefully reap. And If we do not sow, we will not reap. And so this passage, it invites us to live boldly, to be creative, To try something new, even if you're not sure how it's going to pan out. And there's no promises either. It's not saying that just because you sow for God, that things are going to turn out the way that you had envisioned. That it's a guarantee that everything will go as planned. But nevertheless, we're invited to take these bold risks because we know that God is trustworthy, that God is good. The Apostle Paul writes to the church in Galatia a person reaps what they sow. Whoever sows to please their flesh from the flesh will reap destruction. Whoever whoever sows to please the Spirit from the Spirit will reap eternal life. Let us not become weary in doing good, for at the proper time we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. Therefore, as we have opportunity, let us do good to all people, especially those who belong to the family of believers." Essentially, Paul is saying we can invest what we have into ourselves. We can live for ourselves, but it's not going to pan out well. Or we can invest our lives into the kingdom of God and reap eternal life. And that's our choice. And so the challenge is to not weary in this when living in an uncertain world doesn't result in what we hoped it would result in, when we have moments of failure or moments of success, when the failures are crushing or the success is dissatisfying, or when we took a step toward God and it just didn't seem to work, Paul says, do not weary in doing good. Do not weary in doing good. Because if you're truly sowing For his kingdom, by the power of his spirit, you will inevitably, you will ultimately reap what you have sown. You will inherit eternal life. So don't play it safe. Don't seize the day. Instead, in the words of the apostle, use every opportunity to pursue good. Use every opportunity to pursue good. Sometimes this requires taking risks. Sometimes it requires slow, patient discernment. But the goal is to discern how God is asking us to sow his goodness into the world through our lives. And I want to tell you just two stories from within our community that will help you envision this. The first is about a friend of mine who you all probably know and you would recognize if you saw him under the moonlight because of the way the light of the moon shimmers off his scalp, but I digress. My friend felt a growing discontent in his career as a structural engineer. And this grew over years and he began to make space for this discontent and pray about it and ask God what it was about. And together with his wife and his friends and his community, through much prayer and discernment, he decided to leave his job, even though he didn't know what the next job was. Now they saved and they planned and they figured out a strategy to make this possible. And he entered into a season of deeper discernment, asking the hard questions, who am I? what's my purpose? God, what do you want me to do with my life? And to his frustration and maybe surprise at times, this ended up taking a lot longer than he thought. It was almost a year before he found his next job. But we all celebrated when he started his next job because it felt like the next right step. He wanted to move toward uh, working in the, the sphere of development And so he started this job at the beginning of the year. And it looked like God was answering his prayers. And then in March, COVID-19 shut everything down. And now he's unemployed once again. Here's the thing. My friend was faithful through and through. Prayerful, discerning, sowing, offering himself, trying to do what he can with the way God made him to bless this world and he had an opportunity, and it didn't pan out the way he thought it would. That doesn't mean God's love for him suddenly changed. God loves him through and through, is pleased by his faithfulness, is working with what my friend is sowing, and even though we can't yet see where it's gonna lead, even though we get tossed back and forth at times because of the uncertainties of this world, God remains in control. God remains faithful. God remains loving. God remains good. I've also had the privilege of walking alongside someone else in our community who, in a similar way, left a job. She was doing very well as a hairdresser, but felt God was calling her into some form of vocational ministry. And through prayer and discernment, she decided that this might look like chaplaincy within the Navy. But every step she took at the forefront was met with such resistance. Closed doors, difficult conversations, and and just confusion about what's the next right step. And it was so difficult at times that she wondered, like, is this what you have for me, God? Where are you in this? And yet she persisted. She kept moving forward. She kept seeking after God she had this sense, this is who I am. These are the gifts I have. This is how I want to serve in the world. And she's taken a bunch of steps now. And she's in school and she's realizing that this isn't going to change overnight. That this is going to be many years before she can step into this dream of chaplaincy. And it's been frustrating, and she's sowing seeds. She's trying to serve God in the way she can, and she's not seeing immediate results. She's even having discouragement along the way, but none of that has to do with her worth or how valuable she is to God. She is beloved. But as we sow seed in an uncertain world, sometimes it flourishes. Sometimes it takes a while to sprout up. Sometimes it fails. See, I'm sharing these stories of life in the uncertain world because that's how it actually pans out, isn't it? When we take risks, there's no guarantees. But that doesn't mean we should play it safe. That doesn't mean we should just try to seize the day. Instead, use every opportunity to pursue good. Because what is certain is God is faithful. God is loving. God is for us. And we will ultimately reap what we sow when his kingdom comes. So I, don't, I just want to ask one question for you. What is your next right step? What is your next right step? It could be staying put, which in itself can be re- risky, isn't it? It could be moving. It could be making space to listen to this growing discontent in your life. It could be Following Jesus, putting your faith in Him for the first time. It could be addressing the conflict that you've been avoiding. It could be changing your career or vocation. It could be stepping into efforts for justice and reconciliation. It could be a lot of things. I can't say what it is for you, but that's the question I want you to ask. What is your next right step toward God? And is he worthy of the risk? Let's pray.